0: Welcome to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. This is episode three. For those of you coming to us for the first time, the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast is meant to answer questions and comments related to the Mandarin Blueprint Method online video course. So we always like to start off talking a little bit about what that is because otherwise this podcast might seem a little bit strange and, well, full of zany mnemonic visualization. Um, So what we're going to be doing here is talking about how to improve upon the techniques used to learn the most common 600 characters in Chinese, the most common 1000 words, and corresponding about 200 or so grammar points, which is exactly what the Mandarin Blueprint method does. As you go through the course, you work your way through learning character components into learning characters. You focus on characters as your main sort of compass. It's your main guiding force as you go through the curriculum. And then you go into words from there. And after you've built up enough words, you put them together to create sentences that do not require pinyin because when you learn your characters, when you learn those characters, you're learning them properly from the beginning from the bottom up, you know the components in the character, you know the pinion pronunciations, and you know the tone, and you know the main meaning of the character. So you're building up a very solid foundation, which allows you to therefore learn words and sentences with ease. Not all of our podcasts are going to be Q&A format, but for the first few weeks of the Mandarin Blueprint method, we want to make sure that that is the main focus, because we want you to understand that if you leave a comment, under any of the lessons, you can expect to uh, hear us respond to it each week in the podcast because that is really the best way to give individualized answers to questions or uh, comments while also broadcasting them publicly because uh, it's like that thing with being in a classroom with a teacher, they'll say, don't hold back a question that you have because maybe somebody else has the same question. Well, when it comes to the internet and the many people who are on our course, that's almost guaranteed to be true. But just before we get into the questions, I'd like to issue a correction from podcast one that I discovered when I was listening back to it. I realized we gave a Confusing and slightly incorrect answer to one of the questions, and so I just wanted to issue that correction now The original question came from a client named Gil, and he asked is the character Qi meaning both air and gas and he didn't actually write the character in the question He just wrote the pinyin which is the romanized alphabet of Chinese. He just wrote QI with a fourth tone marker now We made a mistake in our answer to him because we started thinking about the different words that contain qi but there are two characters that are both pronounced t and have only one small difference and the and also the difference isn't even that great it's one of them does mean air and the other one means more vapor so it's a form of gas and i can sort of see how luke and i got a little bit confused there because the response we had some of the words we said like tito were the which means balloon were the original qi, it just means air, without that extra three dots water left side component. But then later uh, I said qiyou and Luke said zhong qi, which are both the vapor character, which means it has that three dots water on the left. So that was a mistake on our part. The first character, qi, it either means air or it can mean sort of huh, the air about you, your, your aura, as it were, you know. So we might say that um, he has a 男子气, which means like he has a very manly air about him. So that was a mistake on our part, just wanted to issue that correction, T and 气. Despite the fact they have the same pronunciation and only one component difference, they are a little bit different in their meaning. First, start off with a little bit of love from Nassim. Nassim is living in Germany at the moment, but he is from Palestine. And he has asked us a lot of questions over the past few weeks. And when we answered one of his questions on the podcast, uh, the original podcast number one, he very excitedly emailed us back saying, you know, you guys are really great. And so I'll read you his email. He said, the Mandarin Blueprint Method is definitely the best method to learn Chinese, thanks to Luke and Phil. And when I see a character, a lot of booms go off in my head. I like the way he put that. And what he means is when he sees a new character, he remembers the pronunciation, and he remembers the character components, and he remembers the meaning. Now, how does he do that? Well, each of those aspects of the character is mapped to a visualized object, person, place, and action. Object, person, place, action. These are the four main things you need to map the meaning and components and pronunciation of a Chinese character in order to remember it visually. Now, why do you want to remember a Chinese character visually? Can't you just look at it on a page a lot and try to remember it that way? Just look at it over and over, write it over and over, maybe write the pinyin again over and over. Well. That is called rote memorization and it's really boring and it's actually not as effective as trying to come up with a little mnemonic scene in your head. And that's why we call our character learning method the hanzi movie method. You shoot little movie scenes instead of trying to rote memorize. So for example, Nassim says here, when I see the character Shi, suddenly, boom, I imagine myself in the kitchen of my childhood home with Sean Connery. And that's because Sean Connery represents the sh sound in shi, the kitchen represents second tone, and the uh, childhood home represents the fact that sh doesn't have a final sound. It's not like shang or shao, which does have the ao or ang final tone, but there is no final in shi. So Nasim. Uh, is having these booms go off in his head, and I love that idea, because that really is what's happening. It's much easier to recall visual things than it is to uh, recall just things you looked at on a page. From an evolutionary perspective, looking at a page of text is a brand new thing we've figured out how to do as humans, and therefore it requires our reasoning mind to figure it out if you're starting from scratch and, and if you haven't already built up the foundation in the language. So it's not the easiest way to memorize. Whereas visualization, mnemonic visualization, well, you know, even animals have dreams, which is effectively a form of visualization. So it goes way further back into our evolution. Now our next comment comes from Chad Ressler, and this comes from Make a movie for character number eight, Tong, which means from. Now make a movie lessons are where we put together the various elements of a character and have them interact with each other to create a mnemonic visualized scene or a movie scene. And you need to have an actor and a set and a prop or well a few props usually to create the scene. Now actors represent the pinyin initial sound, the Chinese alphabet sort of consonant sound. The set represents the rhyming final sound. And then the props represent the uh, character components. Now the final thing you need to do is go, okay, well this character means from, so how can I make my actor set and props make me think of the keyword meaning of from now chad says here i imagined christopher walken so that's his actor with a walker so that's his prop but there might be a little bit of an issue with that we'll talk about that in a second but one side of it was smaller he couldn't move very well and it almost tipped over he then asked me where i got it from okay so Christopher Walken is a great choice for an actor. I like him as a representation of C. And by the way, if you're ever going through the Mandarin Blueprint Method course, you only have to choose your actor to represent C one time. And that's true of every single consonant sound. So the first time you ever run across a character that uses uh, a certain consonant sound, we have a casting call lesson where you pick an actor to represent that particular letter. It could be somebody from your life, could be a fictional character, it could be a mythical god, or a world leader, or it could just be somebody from your personal life. However, uh, the choice of Christopher Walken is, is very good here. Now, he has a walker, and this is where I'm not sure where Chad was going with this, because the Character Tong has two components, which in the previous lesson we said both are, are, should be represented as an umbrella or something else that it kind of looks like. So it, both of them have a look like they're sort of an umbrella that's partially opened from the top. And so that's why we recommend using umbrellas. So the props really should be two umbrellas. I'm not exactly sure where he got the walker from, but he might have a reason all you would have to do is have some kind of connection to the walker and the character components. So it is possibly as a reason there, but that's my first criticism of this particular scene to improve it is make sure that the props are very clear in your mind's eye. So he couldn't move very well and almost tipped over. So that could add an element of uh, memorability in the sense that we would obviously be horrified if somebody who had a a walker and needed a walker couldn't move very well and we would want to go over and help them. So if you imagine yourself actually feeling that, actually feeling that like, oh no, I need to help this person in need because they can't hold themselves up, that could be uh, useful to add that emotion into the scene. Emotional memory is very strong. And then he says, he then asked me where I got it from. Well, that is his attempt to connect the scene to the keyword. And I think that this is a little bit weak as a connection because it relies on the actor just saying the word. There is, of course, the concept of getting something from somewhere, but, you know, the relying purely on audio and having no particular visual uh, indication of the keyword is not usually very effective in helping you remember something. So you need to make it more visual. Now, you might ask, well, from, that's a very abstract concept. So how am I supposed to do that? Well, with any abstract keyword like from, what you need to do is ask yourself a question. You need to say, how could I visualize this in a way that is very easy for me to remember? Well, you just want to ask yourself, what is the situation where from is going to come up in conversation and could have a visual representation? So one that I quite like for this one is to imagine a backpacker who is maybe a little bit of a nerd. They've got uh, their backpack covered in the little flags of all the countries that they've traveled to. And then you could imagine that you or your actor is talking to this backpacker and They might ask, where are you from, but actually them saying the where are you from bit is not as essential as just that they have an inquisitive look on their face. And then the backpacker grabs one of the flags from their backpack and sort of pulls it out and points to it and goes, I'm from this country. Right. So that way it takes the previously pure audio of the question and turns it into a visual element. And that's the best way to have a more memorable scene. Now, the next comment from Chad is uh, he left this on the pick a prop lesson for Samurai Sword. Now, uh, that is the simple stroke from top right to bottom left that's kind of a diagonal stroke. And we want to have a prop represent this, a visual object that represents a character component. Okay? Now, he said, weird, but I pictured a sword being propped up by a bicycle kickstand. And, you know, I think that this is interesting because on the one hand, it is, uh, he, what he's imagining here is the entire character, I believe. He's imagining the character with two strokes, zhen, which means person. Uh, And that's fine. I would say that you should probably go with one or the other for the individual component. Uh, now, maybe you imagine the kickstand for the other component, which we suggested imagining a banana, because that component is just the opposite. It's top left to bottom right. And so we, we suggested a banana. It kind of looks like a banana. But you could imagine the kickstand for that one. It does look like a kickstand. So I like it, though, because I like the idea that initially came to Chad's head. Okay, next question comes from Nassim. He says, when I say the letter D in a word, should I say it without breathing, without air coming out of my mouth? And that's an interesting interpretation of this. What he's referring to is that uh, we could take D and T, for example, these two pinyin letters in Mandarin Chinese. One of them is aspirated and one of them is not. Now, aspiration doesn't necessarily mean you're not breathing. What it means is... When you articulate the individual letter, there is air coming out of your mouth or there isn't. Now, when you say "t, for example, "ta, that sound, the ta, if I put my hand in front of my mouth, I can clearly feel the uh, air coming out of my mouth. Now, if I take the same two letters, but just switch it to D, da, da that does not have air coming out of my mouth so that's all it's not necessarily saying don't breathe although I suppose when you're articulating in that very moment you might not be breathing but again that's a level of thought about it that's probably too uh, detailed you just want to ask yourself is there air coming out of my mouth when I'm saying the d or not if there is I need to improve it if there isn't then I'm doing it right Next, we have a comment from Ryan Smith, and he's been leaving us some great sample scenes. And please, anybody who is on the course listening to this, if you have a scene that you really like, please share it. Uh, We would love to talk about it on the podcast. But uh, I'd also like to make this sort of public service announcement to the people who are on the course, because this always seems to be a point of confusion, no matter how many times we uh, remind people about this. Um, Even though... It's reasonable to write down your scenes in the early days because it can help you get the technique. You do not want to write down your scenes in the long run. And the reason is because the whole point of mnemonic visualization is that it saves you time. It allows you to learn a character in as quickly as 30 seconds. And so if you had to write down every one of your scenes, it kind of defeats the purpose of the Henson movie method. So sometimes we discover that people had been writing down every single one of their scenes and we're like, oh, no, 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 there's no need for all that. Because if you had to write it down to remember it, then that would suggest that the only way to remember things in real life is if you wrote them down. And that's obviously not true. You have lots of memories that are not written down, but you remember them just the same. And that's because memory... Uh, has certain sort of points where it'll go, oh, I need to remember that because it is bright and shining or it's uh, something that is outrageous. I need to remember that because uh, that's kind of just how memory works. You, You retain the information that might be useful to you in the future, but you can kind of hack that process through mnemonic visualization, you just sort of figure out, okay, what are the things that might happen in real life that I would certainly find to be memorable. And then the next thing you know, that ends up being a great mnemonic visualization scene. Uh, So you do not need to write everything down. Okay, so tangent finished, let's talk about Ryan's scene. My keyword connection for only is Obi-Wan Kenobi. So this is when he's learning the character from the Make-A-Movie lesson, Zhe. And this character is a keyword of only. That's what the character means. So he makes a keyword connection here. And the reason it's Obi-Wan Kenobi is because in the movie Star Wars, uh, there's the hologram of Princess Leia, and she says, help us, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're our only hope. And being the only hope is a strong enough con- uh, concept, and of course... Uh, it relates back to a cultural trope in Star Wars and so that is great. That's a really good keyword connection right off the bat. Now, here's his scene. So the set is the living room of his childhood home and that's exactly right because is third tone, which we recommend third tone taking place in either the living room or the bedroom or some alternative room in your set and, also does not have a final sound, so it would take place in your childhood home. His actor is his Uncle Jay. Now, even though is spelled Z-H-I, it sounds much like the English J. so his Uncle Jay, I'm sure that's probably fine. And he says, a large farmer with an equally huge, gregarious personality. And I like how Ryan's thinking here, right, because... How a person with a a huge, gregarious personality is going to react to, well, let's say, outrageous things happening is going to be different than somebody who's very docile and introverted and not very gregarious. So he's already thinking in the right way. Now, his props, a spider and the Rolling Stone's mouth. Now, the reason he picked a spider, I'm sure, is because the bottom part... Of this character if it were by itself is the character for eight spiders have eight legs perfect and then the top component is a mouth so he imagines that iconic mouth from the cover of that rolling stones album perfect easy enough and then his keyword association again was obi-wan kenobi from star wars here's the scene my uncle is sitting on the couch in my parents living room through the front door comes obi-wan kenobi cloaked in his thick brown robe from Tatooine with the hood up, riding a giant tarantula. (laughs) He steers the tarantula uh, to the front of my uncle and tells him that he must go with him to Alderaan. (laughs) That that it is his destiny and he is the only one who can do it. Uncle Jay jumps off the couch because the destiny comment sounds more emperor-like. Then, Obi-Wan pulls down his hood to reveal that instead of Obi-Wan, it's actually the Rolling Stone's mouth. So I love this scene. It's got the theme of, you're the only one who can do this, you're our only hope, and that's direct from Star Wars. And Obi-Wan can represent that by himself. He doesn't really need to have more than that uh, to get across the idea of only. Because it's such an iconic scene that... You don't need to necessarily go deeper than that. And that's important to remember is that if you have a very memorable movie scene from your life, from a real movie, uh, that can serve as your keyword connection. And that's great when you have moments like that. Next, we have a, a simple question from Nassim. He says, what is the difference between a character and a prop? And I understand partially why he asks this question, because sometimes I wish that there was another word we had for Chinese characters in English, because... The fact that we do the hanzi movie method means that we have actors, and sometimes people can think of the actors as a character, right? Because they're a character in a scene. But we have to be very clear on our nomenclature border here. So an actor is the representation of the pinyin initial, but the character is the whole thing. It's the whole Chinese character, the hanzi. And that's why we uh, call it the hanzi movie method. It's one of those things we teach top-down very early is that A Chinese character in Chinese is pronounced "hanzi," the letters of the Han people. And so uh, the difference is that a character is the full Chinese character, and a prop is your object that represents a character component, right? So the component, any character might have two or three components in it, and the object is the prop. The object to represent it is the prop. Next, we have a longer comment from Adam Cardellini, but I still want to share it with you guys because it's a very interesting uh, look into the local university situation uh, in Australia. So let's talk about this. Adam says, I am from Australia, and for the last year, I have been studying a diploma in Chinese at a local university. I decided to try a university course because I've wanted to learn Chinese for about 10 years and when I've tried to learn on my own I get overwhelmed and stop after a month. The points you make about studying Chinese at a university ring really true for me. While the course I am doing provides structure and some motivation, I don't find the 20-year-old textbook particularly useful and we do lots of rote learning and repetitive writing. Characters in vocab weren't sticking and I was getting pretty frustrated because I would always forget words in my flashcards. One thing that became clear pretty quickly was that my teachers didn't actually specialize in language learning. They were Chinese academics with expertise in other fields, philosophy and history, who I imagine were told to teach Chinese because they're from China. They don't have the language acquisition research knowledge that they can bring to the classroom and it creates a pretty frustrating learning environment. We were never taught, quote-unquote, how to learn. One good thing that has come from the course was that one of the teachers recognized the difficulties Chinese speakers have in teaching Chinese. They showed your video on how to pronounce the third zombie tone. That's nice of them. After class that day, I found your website, and I'm really glad I did. I'm really loving the structure and approach you were using. I'm actually enjoying studying because I know I will learn something new each time rather than worrying I'm just going to forget everything and have an ever-growing mountain to climb in my flashcard deck. I really like that you include these types of videos that talk about the practical and emotional process of language acquisition. Now I'm considering deferring the course for a year and just working on the Mandarin Blueprint method. From your experience, would you say that there are secondary benefits to having a degree in Chinese? For instance, does the piece of paper make it easier for your skills to be recognized and count more towards getting jobs? So I am somewhat qualified to answer this question because I have a degree in Chinese. Um, but I and, you know, I think that's kind of cool that they showed our video in class. That's that's great. I'm glad to see that the, um Mandarin Blueprint Method has made its way into at least one uh, university's uh, day-to-day classroom materials, but I would say regarding the uh, helpfulness of a degree, well, I mean, I suppose it's like anything uh, relating to university, because uh, what university does have is an accreditation system, so it is true that when somebody sees a degree, they go, okay, well, at least some institution out there that is accredited says that you know this stuff. And unfortunately, while it's coming around, uh, there are ways of becoming accredited online through various uh, online courses. It still hasn't quite reached the uh, level of a university when it comes to how much a your average company is going to look at it and see it as being relevant. However, when it comes to Chinese. If you pass one of the HSK tests, especially the highest level, the HSK-6, many people will consider this good enough to at least prove that you can function in the language competently. And so I would say that getting the degree in Chinese, maybe get it if you don't have a degree at all. Uh, But if you do have a degree in some other area, it might not be necessary to do. It's really up to you. I can say that thus far, it has not led to any particular jobs for me, although it did open the opportunity for me to get the entrepreneurship visa here in Sichuan province, which was a big deal. It allowed me to live here for two years and uh, just be able to work on Mandarin Blueprint. So uh, there, And there may be advantages to it in the future, but because I'm you know, doing this particular project, I haven't needed to apply for a job, but I can't imagine that it wouldn't be helpful for Uh, a job where somebody is looking for a fluent Chinese speaker, Um, you know, when it comes down to we need this uh, person to be our next liaison to China and one person has just the HSK-6 certificate and the other person has an HSK-6 certificate and the um, degree from a, a university, well, you know, they'll probably go with the person with the degree as well. So we'll leave the podcast there for today. Remember, you can leave your comments on the actual course. The link to the course is in the show notes. And we are now on iTunes and Stitcher as well. So if you'd like to subscribe to us there. And of course, you can also just uh, copy the podcast feed into your favorite podcast app. So thank you very much for listening and we'll see you very soon.